Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 49ers, we know they lost big time to the Philadelphia Eagles. We've got a lot to talk about. Kyle Shanahan, the press conference, QB1, and a lot more coming up next. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Rohan Chakravarti Show, and I've got a special guest here. Didn't talk last week, but we're back this week, and it's my guy, Jack Hammer. Jack, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Rohan. How you doing? Hey, we're doing good. Off-season started Monday, which means my off-season also started Monday, went straight into it, and uh, it's going to be a fun time, but um, we've got a spicy amount of topics that we got to talk about, and so it's going to be a fun show for you guys. Looking forward to it. Let's get this thing started. Yeah, you said let's get this thing started. So we'll talk with the with the title. Kyle Shanahan, quarterback injuries, man. This guy, this topic has been there since Kyle Shanahan entered in 2017. 2018, we've had a quarterback injury. 2019, we've had a quarterback injury. Uh or I, I guess, but 2021, 2022, it, it's been there. What's kind of your take on the situation? We'll start with the Brock Purdy injury itself and then branch out onto Kyle Shanahan. Well, the, the Brock Purdy injury, I don't I don't blame the Brock Purdy injury on, on Kyle Shanahan. I blame it on, you know, it was One a freaky second, kind Jack. of a... I don't know if I if they can hear you. I don't know if I can. Let me know. Uh, oh, no, we're good. We're good. Never mind. You continue on. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as the injury to, to, to Brock Purdy, I don't blame that on Kyle Shanahan. I don't like the play call. I don't like the play design. I don't like that. I don't like what they were trying to do there, and that's partly what I've been trying to get across throughout you know, on Twitter and in my in my column that I wrote after the game on uh, Monday morning. And, and just even you can see it throughout the tweets that I've been putting out this week. It's not about tr- about him getting um, the quarterback hurt. I know that's what it ultimately right. part of what ultimately lost the game for him here. But it's I didn't see him like that play. Now, do I do I, but I don't blame him for that injury. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. blame him for any of those any of the injuries of the quarterback. I don't think that. You know, I have to go back. I don't remember exactly which play it was that, that Trey Lance got hurt on last year in, in Arizona. I don't think they ever really said uh, a specific play. Uh, I, I asked this question to to some folks on Twitter today, and they were telling me it was the one down by the goal line, which, you know, the one down by the goal line, that was a, a play-action pass with a rollout that he decided to run. So, you know, I, I don't blame Kyle Shanahan for the quarterback injuries. And I don't blame him for the injury to, to – uh, Brock Purdy on Sunday, even though I don't like the play call at all. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make arguments about the play call. I think the number one thing about the play call, I am totally of the fact about uh, when you're you're trying to sell the run. 
but you also have to see what were the Eagles doing early in that game. They're doing what I, I expected them to do. Dare Brock Purdy to throw that football. So what are they going to do? They're selling out. They're going full pressure. Hassan Reddick read the play perfectly, but he'd been right. He'd been going right after the quarterback on every single play in the in the beginning of that game. That's kind of his mentality. He wanted to he wanted to start with the boom. He wanted to get to the quarterback and get the sack. Now, that's where I think that you can make that argument. As for the play itself, I think there are a couple of things that you can talk about, but really it's so unfortunate because so many things had to go wrong. Brock Purdy didn't step up in the pocket. He threw it a half second late. Reddick had to immediately beat Croft, and Reddick had to hit Purdy in that exact spot for all of that to happen on that specific play call. So really, a, a number of things had to go wrong. It's really unfortunate. That's the whole point. It's the unfortunate circumstances behind it that led to the demise of the 49ers in 2022. Yeah, there is. It was a perfect storm of things. And uh, for me, I, I'm what you just said is what I've been saying all week long. It's it's you, it's one thing. I, I, I'm i kind of tired of hearing people try to explain to me that that's what you do on play action passes. No shit. I'm not stupid. I, I've watched football for longer than most of you have been alive. And when they when you run play action, I get it. But my whole argument is you don't do it when you're playing against a team that's give, that sacked the quarterback 75 times. That's the difference. You're, you're playing against a team that sacked the quarterback 75 times. 70 in the regular season, which is third most ever in the history of the NFL since they started tracking sacks as a stat in 1982. So that's right. why I don't like the play call. You're, you're, right. you're drawing up a long play that's going to take a lot of time to develop. Now, I've heard people talking about the, the, the quarterback part of this with Purdy having to step up. And that's because and that he was late. And so I, I would say we don't know how this plays out, even if he does step up, because even if yeah, he is stepping up, even if he does step up, it's very easy to see on the film. The only place that he's going to step up is about a yard ahead of where he is. If he steps up about a yard ahead of, because if he goes any further than that, he's climbing up the back of Trent Williams. It's, it's clear on the film. Mm -hmm. It's that they're, 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 you can't really argue that. Now, if he's stepping up and he steps up that yard, he's going to get blasted from behind by 97. Because I've seen people say, well, if he just steps up and gets rid of the ball on time, he's gonna, it's gonna be a touchdown. It's it's dialed up. Well, if he steps up right there, Hargrave, Hargrave is coming around the right side. He's right, he's he's gonna blast him, right? I, if, tell me if I'm wrong, because I think you've seen the play, but it looks to me like he's gonna get hit from behind. Now that's fair. Yeah. It, it's the, it's all speculation in a way. Yeah, you're I, right. But but it, but based on the angle and based on where where Hargrave finishes his twist around the end. It's right behind where Trent Williams is, which is right into that spot where Purdy's going to step up. Now, mm -hmm. that hit doesn't mean that Purdy's going to get injured, but right. that could be a situation where he steps up, he throw, and then stepping up. It's not like you're stepping up and you're throwing the ball at the same time. You've got to step, you've got to reset your feet and throw it right. So, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that Brock Purdy, unless he throws it from that exact spot, is going to get the ball off any sooner than he does. And it's a, it's a play that also. When you look at it, is is Brandon Ayuk starting to break open? Yes, but you can't throw that route with the same anticipation that you throw some other routes because he's running vertically up up the field. The safety or cornerback, whoever it is, that's on up top of the route, top of the stem. He needs to wait for that break to occur because he needs to see if Ayuk's going to get open. And as soon as Ayuk starts to get open, he's that's where he's maybe if he's late. We're talking about like that much. We're not talking mm -hmm. like people saying that it was, you know, a half of a second or anything. No. Do you know how quick a half of a second is? It's not, it, it, it was very 
small time frame that he was late on that. So, yeah, it's his fault. I just don't like it. Again, I don't like going back to the whole week leading up to this game. There was a very common thread throughout all of the discussions, and that was the 49ers need to get the ball out quick. They need to be able to beat this rush of the Philadelphia Eagles. So what do they do? The first couple of plays, quick throws, right on the money, first down, first down, and then they just they play right into the hands of the Eagles. And, you know, the other part of this whole thing leading up to the game, Jonathan Gannon takes a lot of heat in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia media, for whatever reason, doesn't like Jonathan Gannon and the, the scheme that he plays on defense because he gives up a lot of short throws. Well, he was doing that on – he was doing that again even with that – what they're doing, what they do in Philadelphia and their base is they have five guys across. Those defensive guys are going like bats out of hell up the field. They don't care about the run. They're going to tackle the run as they're going to hit the quarterback. And then behind it, you have a lot of man coverage with your with everybody else, which is creating these, these underneath throws that you see. And they're very physical. They're very quick, and they're able to bring their guys down. And the foreigners just played right into their hands. And to say – the number of times that I've heard people tell me that oh, it's it's a good play call, I you wouldn't be blaming it if it if it was a, a you know if it worked. Well, the likelihood that that play was going to work against that opponent isn't what it is when they're playing against the Arizona Cardinals or the Seattle Seahawks or the you know pretty much everybody else they played because this is a different level of opponent and I think that's what didn't get taken into account here. Yeah, I, I think that that's very fair to say. I, I do, and it kind of leads me to this bigger, a bigger topic, right? Because you're talking about this one specific play, and we both agree Kyle Shanahan isn't really to blame. You said he wasn't really to blame for the earlier parts of the injuries. However, there is this correlation between Kyle Shanahan and quarterback injuries. Do you make any sense of it? Do you think that it is what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said in that presser a coincidence? Do you think it's more than that? What do you think about it? Well, that's that's. I mean. What Kyle Shanahan said in the press conference is right. The the, I mean, I don't know. You had to tell me is Spencer Burford a good right guard or not? Average. Okay. So, the reason that Josh Johnson got knocked out of the game is because Spencer Burford got, got beat. beat. Mm-hmm. Is that on? Is that on Kyle Shanahan? I, you know, you know my answer to that. But the the point is, no, I I'm think, asking you. I, I'm asking you. Oh, I want to know. No, no, no. That isn't on Kyle Shanahan. Of course not. Okay. So, so, okay, so let's go to the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. The Jimmy Garoppolo injury this year, that's on a blitz. The, the defensive line is, is – the offensive line is, you know, blocking a different way, so it allows a guy to come through. They actually have his hot read is open. If he throws it to his hot read, he doesn't see it. Instead of just taking a sack and falling out of field goal position, Garoppolo fights for, the, you know, to get up to where he's supposed to get, and it's kind of Correct. a freak accident. Is that, one on, is that one on Kyle Shanahan? Nope. You know, so and, and it's the same thing. You go back to 2020. Was the injury Lake and Tomlinson gets beat by Quinnen Williams in, in New York? That's not on Kyle Shanahan. Uh, in 2018, Jimmy Garoppolo blows out his knee because he takes off running and instead of just stepping out of bounds, decides he's going in a game that they're far, you know, down by multiple scores and instead of running out of bounds, decides he's going to plant his foot at the sideline and try to run into the defender, blows out his knee. That's not on Kyle Shanahan. So I get it. Uh, it's it's a situation where a lot of quarterbacks across the league get hurt. If you, even if you look at the Kyle Shanahan scheme teams, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets in particular, both those teams went through a ton of quarterbacks. And was it because of 
what was the reasoning? You have to go through and look at each one yeah. very specifically, I think. Yeah, I, I do agree. And a lot of people have talked about Kyle Shanahan and because there's a pattern of injuries uh, to the quarterback position, a lot of people have tried to point the blame at Kyle Shanahan. Here's what I'd say. Kyle Shanahan, arguably his biggest flaw is evaluating the quarterback position. Struggled to do it in 2018 when the 49ers looked to build up elsewhere. Could have had Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Didn't end up with them. Struggled in 2020 when they stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo off the Super Bowl year instead of Tom Brady. Struggled in 2021 when they couldn't get Matthew Stafford. Ended up not getting any of the free agent quarterbacks. And then trading three first-round picks for Trey Lance, who they ended up starting Garoppolo over. And then struggled in 2022. Again, you know, because this is how it's gone. Where we, we were in year seven of the experiment, we still don't have a starting caliber quarterback uh, or at least a proven commodity at quarterback. We have a couple of unknowns right now on the roster in both Purdy and Lance. Purdy now being because we don't know how he's going to recover from the injury that he's faced. And we don't know who's going to start in 2023. To me, I think that that's where the issue is. And also, Kyle Shanahan, a part of the quarterback injuries, they're not on him. But the willingness to remain with an injury-prone quarterback for five seasons, that I think you can make the argument that it's on him. Now, me, I have a differing belief. I, I, I don't blame the injuries necessarily, like the particular injuries on Kyle Shanahan on him, but I blame more so the evaluation of the quarterbacks. I think that that might be his biggest flaw because apart from that, as a head coach, Kyle Shanahan has been stellar. Yeah, no, I do agree with you on the, you know, sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo and that's what's led to the injuries and those types of things. You know, there's there's thing Garoppolo did some good stuff. He did some bad stuff, but it's it's all over the board with him. But, um, you know, I said after the game against Denver on Larry Kruger's show that if the 49, if Kyle Shanahan never wins a Super Bowl in San Francisco, uh, he can look back at his failings at the quarterback position as the reason why. Uh, and we'll see how that plays out. I thought he, you know, I say that but at the same time, he had a, guy that was taken nobody wanted at 262 who threw for 1800 yards and right. 16 touchdowns over the course of what nine games eight games mm -hmm. whatever it was i, I mean you, you know and it, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out moving forward we'll get into that as we go through our discussion here yeah and the last part i want to talk about this trey lance we've talked we've seen the injury about him what it was, I know we've talked about it before, but I want you to reiterate what was your opinion on that play and of him being utilized in that way? Because a lot of people have had discussion about that. The, the Trey Lance injury? Yeah. What, what did you think they were going to do with the guy when they drafted him? If you didn't think he was going to be used as a, you know, to run the ball, I. Uh, that's only because you didn't know what was happening because you didn't because you didn't have an opportunity to have spent the time watching him in college. And, and I'm not trying to be I'm not being rude about it. I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I don't want to I'm not trying to be condescending there. But if you didn't think he was going to be used in the manner in which he's being used, you didn't watch his film in college, mm -hmm. which I understand the majority of fans don't spend the money to watch that stuff. And. They they probably don't turn into my channel to watch all of the film and all those kind of things and all those discussions. It, 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 and you know, it's they did exactly what they did exactly what they brought him in for, which was to be a dual threat quarterback that could run and throw. And uh, the the injury this year, again, if Mike McGinty doesn't get blown into the backfield, 
slowing down Trent Williams. Yeah. That play, I think, turns out differently. The the, the game in, in Arizona, again, I, I don't know exactly which play the injury occurred on. It's been talked about in a couple of different ones. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. ever actually drilled it down to exactly which play it was. Yeah. And I mean, when you talk about the injury itself, it's unfortunate. A lot of people were mad about the way that they utilize Trey Lance. I think the numbers in the way that they utilize Trey Lance is always provided out of contracts. So there's no 13 runs a game when you really single it down to how it like given the context of the games, be it Chicago with the raining con- conditions, uh, Arizona with him having the finger injury, really uh, limiting his ability to throw the football. I think Arizona might be the one game where I really had maybe an issue with the way the amount of runs that you called for him. Apart from that, I didn't. I mean, uh, Houston, that game plan was phenomenal, right? Running three times in the first half, first quarter using the run because of how dominant the run is when you have zone read with both the quarterback and the running back in it to set up the pass, which eventually ended up working. And Lance had his best game as uh, as a pro in that game when you use the run to set up the pass, having three runs in the first quarter and then not having a run until the second half after that. Very similar game plan to what I thought would happen in Seattle, where he ran three times in the early portion of the game. Then what happened right after that? We saw Jimmy Garoppolo come in, but it was going to be the exact same play calling with Trey Lance. Four straight passes, 70 yards, a touchdown drive off play action because you use the run to set up the pass when you have that. And the 49ers run game was working a lot. Now it's unfortunate that Lance got injured in the way that he did. And I've been a guy who has supported Trey Lance because I believe in the in the, in the traits that he has. But you have to understand, coming into the season, it was clear Lance was raw as a passer. His One of his best, his, his best tra- traits was running the football because he had the vision to do so and a couple of the skills to do so. Now, he's not one of the best runners. He's not the fastest runner. Uh, he's, not like a, he's not a guy necessarily that will hit the edge every time. He's a guy, though, that has the body. Um, and so that's where he, he ends up, uh, being one of the more capable runners in, in terms of, he has the strength, but also the, uh, the speed in that combination to run the football. And it's unfortunate that he got injured the way he did in, in that specific uh, circumstance. I wasn't mad because it was the third run of the game, but also in general, I think that you have to incorporate that part of his game, uh, uh, part of his, uh, as a part of the game plan, because Trey Lance benefits when you run the football with him, because it it slows down the game for him. It makes the game easier for him because you're going towards his strengths, especially at the beginning of the year while you incorporate more and more of him as a passer to get him uh, more comfortable in the NFL landscape. Yeah, it, it, it's just interesting. And the, the discussions around Lance and Purdy and Garoppolo and all those kind of things. And I, again, I don't, I don't think it's a Kyle Shanahan specific as far as the injuries go. Um, people disagree with that, and that's fine. Uh, and we'll find out what we're going to talk a little bit more, I think, as we go through this about uh, Trey Lance and and that whole situation. Real quick, I, I do want to give a shout out to those who did join in because we do have a nice uh, chat today. Uh, Mariah, 49er Faithful Lee, thank you for tuning in. 916-Niner, Kali. We've got a lot, a lot of people tuning in. Lucas, thank you for tuning in, as well as Jason Walsh. And a couple others that I did see. Where are they? 49ers Raj, and then the recent one of Jerome Davis. Thank you all for tuning in, as well as everybody else adding in the chat. But let's go through it, right? We'll we'll leave the quarterback talk for a little bit later because we're in offseason mode. One of the toughest parts of the offseason, roster reconstruction, coaching reconstruction, 
getting that roster back to where you can play in 2023. That means we got to talk about free agency. 49ers, 25 unrestricted free agents. Initial thoughts on that with the cap space that they have of $16 million, What do you think the plan should be going into the offseason? Well, they need to bring back as many as they can. There's going to be some that you know they're not coming back. Uh, Aziz Alshair isn't going to be back with the 49ers this year. He, this was his last season. Jimmy Ward wouldn't be back, won't be back this year, uh, no. coming up in 2023. Um, you know, there's going to be some restructuring that's going to have to take place, and there's some some names. And so, you know, I know right now I think they sit with, what, like $16 million in cap space uh, yep. for, for next year. That number is going to grow. Um, depends on what you're looking at. I'm looking at over the cap right now. Over the cap has them at 8.2, but I think that's uh, – that's yeah, 8.2, but that's also because they have a bunch of their their lower um, guys on there. That they're, that they're, um, uh, the future salaries. reserve players, yeah, that take up yeah. 8 million. Yeah, so they get they still it gets up to 51. Their top 51 right now puts them at 8.2. But there's there's some restructuring that's going to go on. There's going to be a lot of roster movement or a lot of movement around with their existing guys that are under contract. So um, looking at their, their cap space, really where they are right now, it's going to change before we get to uh, free agency for sure. No, I agree. I, I do think that that's definitely going to change. And you're right. I mean, the 49ers goal should be to try and create a roster as not necessarily similar, but as strong as possible, which means bringing some of those guys back. But there are going to be tough decisions. 16 million, not a lot to work with. I imagine that the highest they can go up, if we're talking the highest, highest, it'd be around 45 million if you do restructures with guys like George Kittle, Ark Armstead. Uh, and we'll get to the realistic possibility of that. Christian McCaffrey almost assuredly will get a new contract with no guaranteed money left for the remaining three years. But we've got to talk about the top ones. Jack, you and I both predicted Lake Tomlinson would not return to the 49ers last year. Are we going to see a second coming of that with Mike McGlinchey this year? Or do you think Mike McGlinchey remains with the 49ers? You know, this is one that's an interesting, this one I think is very interesting because it's going to show you, I think what the 49ers find to, you know, uh, where they put their stock. I don't right. think the 49ers find uh, tremendous value in the interior of the offensive line. I do think they find value on the exterior at tackle spots. And so, I think it's like four years around $64 million or $65. It ends up being about $15.5 million on average over the course of the deal. Now, if the 49ers were to give him that deal, I think they could actually bring him back at lower than what they paid him last year in terms of salary cap. And if he was at $10.88 million, mm -hmm. that's actually what he made. Yeah. I think they could pay him more money, a salary cap hit that's lower than what he played on last year. And bring him back, which I think should be try is bring him back because uh contrary to what the majority of front air fans think, Mike Lynch is one of the better oh, right tackles in the NFL. Yeah. I uh, no, and that's true. In the last statement, it's true because when you look at right tackles, right tackle is one of the worst positions in the NFL. There just isn't much talent at the right tackle position. Like below average to average players might make might be right on the outside of the top 10 because right tackle is it's a tough position and when you talk about the 49ers and their free agents mike mcglinchey comes in as the top candidate he's the guy who's ultimately going to be paid the most money and the guy who arguably could be of the most importance uh, of the guys that they plan to bring back maybe emmanuel mosley falls under that category too i would probably place him there as well who we'll talk about in a minute but mike mcglinchey right now 
he's in line to get money and he he said it himself i'd be an idiot not to uh understand my value and so he wants to remain with the 49ers but also wants to t- to see how much he's worth i think mike McGlinchey, because he's going to either it depends on the team but he might be seen as the tackle one or the tackle two at right tackle uh in free agency amongst some teams lists and there are a lot of rebuilding teams that understand you got to start from the trenches and might pay mike mcglinchy upwards of 15 16 million dollars a year to come be their right tackle of the future because he's only 28 the regression for offensive linemen is uh, is better off than from other uh, other positions you you see uh, elder offensive linemen they age a little more than maybe the running backs maybe the wide receivers and other positions like that and so there's a value in giving Mike McGlinchey a four-year deal. McGlinchey, obviously one of the better run blockers, and his pass protection, believe it or not, has improved the last two years. He was not great in pass protection before. He's improved in that in that category. Now, me personally, I don't know if the 49ers are willing to shell out that type of money, especially if they want to target a different free agent uh, that they might prioritize. We talked about what the 49ers prioritize. Jack brought up how they don't necessarily prioritize the interior. Hence, you've seen Brendel, minimum deal. Uh, Burford and Banks, both on rookie deals. I think a position they could prioritize is the defensive line and maybe even the interior defensive line if they or an outside edge rusher to pair with Nick Bosa and Ark Armstead on the uh, on that defensive line, potentially paving the way for an Ark Armstead departure as the salary cap hit continues to increase over the next couple of years. I think that that could be a position, but it really depends on what the 49ers plan is. If they want to go attack other positions, unfortunately, Mike McGlinchey might not be of cost. Another option that I'll throw out there that I think that would really fit the 49ers and might go a little into what they've been doing in the past, especially in 2022 in free agency, Jawan Taylor. Jawan Taylor is a 25-year-old free agent from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Similar to Mike McGlinchey, had his best year uh, this this past year heading into free agency. I'd, put, I'd assume he, he'd get reach a deal around three years, $45 million. He's 25, younger than McGlinchey, and fits the category, uh, category that McGlinchey is in while having more upside. I think the 49ers may be intrigued by that. The only question is whether Jacksonville brings him back or not. I, I think I think what's going to happen here is that if the 49ers don't bring him back, it's going to be because they're going to go with a, a a guy like they're not they're not going to go from Mike McGlinchey to the guy from Jacksonville, basically paying him the same amount of money. I, I just don't mm-hmm. see that. I think if they're going to make a move at right right tackle, and it's not going to be to bring back Mike McGlinchey, I think they're probably going to go be moving forward with um, uh, Colton McKivitz at right tackle. I think it becomes a battle between Colton McKivitz and and uh, Jalen Moore to be that starting right tackle. Uh, it makes it, you know, you're doing that because the reason that you're, you're moving off of McGlinchey is because of the cost. And so you're not going to bring a guy in that costs you the same amount as, as him. Uh, even if he is a little bit younger, I, I think it would be, I think it's more along the lines of it's going to be McGlinchey, probably, uh, probably McKivitz is the next guy up. There's nobody in free agency that I think is better than, than McGlinchey at a lower cost. And, if, if they're going to go cheap on the offensive line, it's going to be you're going to get a guy yeah. along the lines of McKivitz as your starter. McKivitz, good run blocker. You know, it's a step back in pass protection. I think that you can see that. I think you can see that. The 49ers, I mean, they might not prioritize the right tackle position as much given the success that they saw with Tom Compton. Now, Tom Compton obviously flustered in the playoffs and was not a good pass blocker by any means. 
but the 49ers they might they might deal with it and they might move forward uh with it because of the the salary cap when you have the six seven players that they have that really take up as much of the salary cap they do they do you do have to sacrifice at other positions the reason the 49ers have the best defense in the nfl with players playmakers at each of the three levels is because they have to uh, they, they they pay them and they they don't necessarily look at other positions as heavily because obviously you can't allocate your money out everywhere and Mike McGlinchey, when you talk about an extension there, the one thing you do also have to realize, the 49ers have to pay guys like Nick Bosa and Brandon Ayuk in the next two off-seasons if they're going to do that. And on top of that, they have the contracts that they have. Mike McGlinchey, you're going to almost assuredly have a lower cap hit if you sign him back this year, but that means a higher cap hit in years two, three, and four, which means when the salary cap doesn't see as significant of an increase necessarily, you're going to have to deal with uh, having that contract on top of the other t- contracts when you're trying to re-sign other players. And it depletes your roster, and it's also why teams look to capitalize on rookie quarterback windows. Yeah, no, that I mean, and that's part of it, right, is, is yes, you'll be able to get them, bring them in here. It's going to get ex- more expensive down the road, but you also need to look at, at everything else that's going into it. I'm interested to see what happens here at left tackle because mm-hmm. uh, Trent Williams – uh, you know, I wasn't there on Tuesday with the, I was, I had to get back to work after being out in Philadelphia. So uh, I wasn't in the, in the locker room, but I heard the comments and I saw the comments where, where he didn't say that he was coming back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be noted. There's a clause in his contract where if he is back in, in uh, 2023, it guarantees the remainder of his contract. If he mm-hmm. chooses to retire at this point, it actually saves them for a bunch of money. So, We'll see what happens at left tackle too. There's a lot of there's a that's a I think you know Kyle Shanahan came back on Wednesday and said he expects to see Trent Williams here. Uh, it will be interesting to keep an eye on there though because if if Trent Williams decides to hit the road, uh, that's another one of these roster moves that helps foreigners in terms of money to spend across the board. Yeah, no, you're right because the 15 million that Trent Williams is still guaranteed. The 49ers, uh, that guarantees, well, the $5 million of it guarantees, I believe, uh, or I, I forget the exact date. I think it's April 1st when that guaranteed money hits and his contract becomes guaranteed. And so I think that that's the date that you guys should uh, check when, when looking at Trent Williams. And, of course, that's another player the 49ers would try to have to uh, replace another tough guy. But I, I don't think that you're wrong in that. If they go, don't go McGlinchey, you might look at the cheaper option. The right tackle class in the draft seems like it's going to be a little bit of a better class in the mid-round guys. Guys like Matthew Bergeron, uh, guys like Jalen Duncan uh, out of Maryland and Syracuse, respectively. There are, there are a couple guys the 49ers could target in that, in, that, uh, in that area, and they have the capital to do so and move up. Or roll with McGlin- uh, McKivitz, a guy who has familiarity in the system. Yeah, or you or you get that guy and you do roll with McKivitz and they compete for the job and yeah, you know, and you go from there. I do see there's a question over here from Khalil Young who says, could they move Let's Burford to right? Ta- could they move Burford to right tackle? What do you uh, think about it? I, I mean, typically when guys aren't when guys struggle in pass protection inside, they're usually not going to be better on the outside. Mm-hmm. And and I felt like Burford played well for the most part, but there were some issues in pass protection at times. I mean, it's part of being a rookie too, but um, I, I think it would be, it would be interesting to see if he's able to slide outside. I, it's much easier, I think, to slide from outside inside, but I could be wrong. Agreed. 
No, I do agree with that. I think it is easier to go from tackle to guard than guard to tackle. And another thing about it, Burford, maybe the one thing that you could see, Burford struggled at times with power this year, um, got bull rushed, but also got beat with speed. Like he, he got beat in a variety of ways. And so you'll have to deal with a little, like the premier athletes there on the edge. And I think the 49ers could test it out in OTAs and things like that. They could see how Burford looks there if should they go that route. But um, I don't know if I'd bank on it at the moment. But uh, moving forward, another guy that the 49ers could look to bring back, Charles Menehue, situational pass rusher, had a good, good year according to statistics. But a guy, like I said, situational pass rusher. What's your outlook on him at the moment? Yeah, that's another one. It's one of those just depends on what he's what kind of money he wants. They're not. That's the thing is they're not going to be bringing. I don't think they're going to be bringing very many of their own guys back on on big dollars. So if they bring back McGlinchey, that's the one big, big re-signing for them. If it's a you know if it's a men who that's another one. Um, they need to make some moves along. You know, I think one of our topics is going to be um, how do they improve this season, and this is a spot that they need to improve on. Nick Bosa, eighteen and a half sacks this season. No other 49er uh, with more than five. They right. need to improve their defensive line this season in the offseason. And Amenahu who would be a good one to keep, but I don't know if the cost is right for, for him to be the guy. Right. And that's where I brought up Deron Payne earlier for if the 49ers go with that uh, big-name guy. Uh, Javier Milano asked, do you think there will be a signing similar to Traverius Ward? I think there could be. Uh, Jawan Taylor could see a contract like that, but I don't know if the 49ers go that route. On the defensive side, though, Deron Payne's a guy who's going to command a high-end salary, and he's a guy who's going to get some interested suitors. The 49ers were interested at the trade deadline, and I think that there could be another interest here. Now, obviously, it comes down to monetary reasons, and other teams have the edge on the 49ers in that they'll pay up front, and that could be uh, intriguing to a guy like Deron Payne. But if the 49ers can land their hands on a guy like him, that really significantly bolsters that defensive line and potentially uh, works for life after Armstead. Yeah, I I, I'm, I don't disagree with you. I do think you'll see a, a signing similar to Ward. There's going to be one this this season. I don't know if it's going to be an outside guy or if it's one of their own, but there's going to be one free agent that they're going to spend some money on. Um, yeah. The rest of them are going to be just guys that they can fit into their their structure. They have a good core. They have a really strong core coming back. It's about filling in around them. Um, you know, and so there's, again, it goes back to how many of these guys can they restructure and how many, how aggressive do they want to get in that? Because uh, you can, you can create, you want somebody bad enough, you can make the space to get them in. Right. And some of those restructures go into that, that I talked about. Ark Armstead, you can restructure his deal. Fred Warner, you can restructure his deal. If you want Trent Williams, you could restructure that deal. George Kittle, uh, really all the big contracts the 49ers have dished out. If they choose to, they could restructure the deal. Now for you, do you think that they're likely or would you do those moves to make some of those restructures, especially knowing the unknown uh, portion of Williams uh, and his career? as well as uh, the cap hits that Armstead already has and the aging players that they are. Well, like the, the one that I'm, I, the one that you're the one, the one, only name that I think that you're, you mentioned that I, I, I think the 49ers are going to want to stay away from restructuring and adding years to their deal is Trent Williams. You know, I he's agree. already, he's already up there. So I don't think you want to go that route. But other than that, you start looking at, when you're looking at, rest, at players who could be restructured, you look at what their base salary is compared to their bonus money. 
And so there's a lot of guys, including Travis Ward. I don't know if I heard you say his name. Travis yeah. Ward, I know he just signed last year, but that's another guy that they could bring in, restructure his deal. Because there's about $11 million in cap space there that they can play with to, to reduce his cap hit going into this season. So, you know, I felt like he played pretty well. Do they think that he's somebody that's going to have around here long term? That's where the, you know, you get a pretty good idea of who they want long term based on, on uh, Agreed. what they do in the offseason. And that's why you can tell they really like Eric Armstead. Armstead didn't get any sacks this year, but he was injured. And he, even though he didn't have sacks, I thought he played a, a pretty solid role in this in this defense. But mm-hmm. they need him to come back. They need him to get healthy. They need to get him back to the to a guy that's going to give them five or six sacks. You know, in years ahead. Yeah, uh, you're right. A guy who they've done in the past is Kittle. I think they've done even Kittle. Uh, I, I, they might have done him twice as well. I, I forget if it's once or twice, but they've restructured a couple of those guys before. They've shown a willingness to do it, but also shown a willingness to stay away from restructuring certain contracts because of the ramifications that it has on the cap. Jimmy Ward is going to carry a $6 million debt cap charge because of uh, what they did. And I mean, we've seen how other teams have been really uh, hampered by the restructures. But overall, I do think that the 49ers know that those uh, those moves are in their cards. And if they want to get better, the number way, uh, number one way to do so is creating the, uh, the necessary cap space, which comes from those restructures, which you can get up to 40, 50 million. If you do want to do the restructures, just depends on which players they want to do it for and how uh, they want to structure those deals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as far as the, the guys like restructuring, they just did last year. He's one of the guys that they, yeah. they restructured last season to, to get money. Uh, so we'll see. It's going to be, this is, you know, that's something that I'll be taking a look at. I'll be writing about road just uh, right now. Getting into the off season mode because uh, the, the game on Sunday is still, I think pretty, it's pretty hot in a lot of, uh, a lot of people's minds with what's going on. Yeah. And I think that that's a good transition. You'll be talking about the game from this weekend because obviously the main thing about it, quarterback injury to Brock Purdy. The UCL tear that is likely to sideline him at least six months, if not more, depending on the surgery and depending on his recovery. Quarterback situation now becomes a little different for 2023. We heard from Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. They are content with the two quarterbacks that they have. Likely will go out and sign a guy uh, to compete as the backup uh, in free agency. So that'll be your three-quarterback room, it appears, for 2023. What is your outlook on the quarterback situation going into the offseason, and how do you think it plays out at the moment? Uh, well, the quarterback situation ahead of the offseason is pretty simple. You got one guy under contract that, that can throw the ball when you hit the field and uh, after the draft. It's it's Trey Lance. That's it. They don't have anybody else. It's Trey Lance and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo hitting the road. I don't expect to see Josh Johnson back. It'll be Trey Lance, and uh, you know we'll see whatever happens with Brock Purdy. You know. Um, that's the that's the situation now. I will say this: uh, Trey Lance fans, people who are very high on Trey Lance, the ones that are, you can see them. It's easy to spot on Twitter. Are the most? I think they're the softest group of people that I've ever witnessed. They're, they're the guy that they that they support is going to be the guy. He's the only guy that's going to be there. He's and and they act like like poor Trey, poor Trey. Poor Trey, he's never gotten the chance. Poor Trey, they just they haven't treated him right. I, I saw one guy telling saying that you know the fires are going to rue the fact that they they 
they didn't start Trey Lance from day one. Give me a break. They gave Trey Lance a start, an opportunity to start in 2021. They gave him an opportunity to beat out Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't do it. That's why he wasn't the starting quarterback. He got injured in his first start. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. Don't know exactly when that happened. But yeah. even when that happened, they were starting to think that they might want to roll into Trey Lance. But he got injured, so you couldn't do it. And so you stuck with Garoppolo. And by that point, the end of the season, although he played well against Houston, you roll back to Garoppolo for the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, this season, though, this was Trey Lance's year. 2022 was to be Trey Lance's season. Mm-hmm. He was his season to develop. It was his season to struggle through the early part of the year. It was his, his you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the people that the people that that feel like like he's gotten the short end of the stick. Hey, watch, watch, watch the guy play. There's a lot of people that say you haven't seen enough of Trey Lance to know what he does. You saw a lot of him in training camp this year because you were there, right? And I, I think between you and myself, I, I've seen him play far more than four games. I, I've seen him throw the ball probably enough to play a season's worth of games between the 2021 training camp and, and this and this year's training camp. And the reason the 49ers are asking him to run the ball as much as they are, it isn't because they they don't know what they're doing. It's because they do know what they're doing and they've seen how he plays. And they are trying to play to the things that he does well so that he can eventually be better, but he hasn't shown it yet, which is why they run him so much. And while it's a tough take, like I said earlier this year, uh, the stream, why was the game plan the way the game plan was? I said it myself. I, and I'm one of the supporters of Trey Lance because I believe in the traits that he had when I scouted him as a uh, out of NDSU and when I've watched him. I'm a believer in what his his talent can be. But I told you, he's a he's a raw player. He's a player who's going to learn as experience comes. Now, when you talk about the harping on experience part, yeah, it's unfortunate because obviously he's really been uh, through – uh, he he suffered uh, a really coincidental finger injury when throwing the football in in a preseason game. He suffered a knee injury when he first started, potentially because he ran the ball too much. However, you you may you may see it, whatever it is. And then when he was healthy, he had a good game in Houston, in the second half especially. Then this year, the ACL when he got the opportunity, the ACL. It's really unfortunate what's happened. And at the moment, how I'm going to view this Trey Lance situation is, look. Right now, I, I tweeted out this week, he appears to be quarterback one going into the year. Why? Be- or sorry, going into the offseason. Why? He's the only healthy guy that can throw the football. We don't know if Brock Purdy is going to be there in training camp. We don't know what Brock Purdy is going to do. We don't have the backup quarterback. We don't know what's going to be the backup quarterback. Come April, come OTAs or whenever it is, he's the only guy right now on the roster that can move his arm to throw the football. So Trey Lance, here's how I see it. Like I said, I'm a believer, and that's why I think this uh, this offseason is going to be very intriguing. Trey Lance is going to have every opportunity to show that he can compete for the starting job. He's going to get all the reps, all the starting reps from uh, the beginning of OTAs until training camp. He's going to get every single rep as the starter. The backup, whoever it is, is going to push him, but he should get every rep as a starter for there. And then come training camp time, if Purdy is ready to go, you're going to see them to exchange reps likely. 
if Trey Lance can prove at that at that point that he can be the guy, they're going to give him the number one reps because he's been in the offenses. He's been through the install this entire offseason. One quote stuck out to me from Kyle Shanahan. He talked about uh, the quarterback competition. He says, nobody knows what's going to happen. But he said, I think that that stuff's going to settle out by training camp. Why? Because Trey Lance is going to get the opportunity while Purdy's hurt. If he can figure it out, then you have a good quarterback competition. If he struggles in that time, then you still have a good quarterback competition, but the outlook of how that quarterback competition goes is changed. That's my view on Trey Lance going into 2023. Right now, I think he's QB1 going into the offseason because he's the only guy that can throw the football. We'll see how that goes going forward. Yeah, and that's and that's really it. And it's he is. He's QB1. I, I don't I don't really get where all the, the poor Trey stuff is coming from. I guess is where I'm going. I mean, the guy's the guy is the only healthy quarterback on the roster. Well, he's not really healthy yet, but he's gonna be the only healthy quarterback on the roster. Right. When, when when they get there and so if he's good enough he's going to start and if he plays Agreed. well we're going to see him play well and if he plays like garbage he's going to play like garbage and we'll be able to see it it's going to play out i don't i don't know the defensive i'm going to say this you can put together if, if you want to make trey lance look good and you want to say you know there's there's people that say trey lance can't do this he can't do that he if you want to go through and just pick out all the positive plays from his film you can make I could, here's what I, I'll tell you. If I wanted to make Josh Johnson look good, I could go through the game on Sunday and pick out about five or six plays that would make you think that he's a good NFL quarterback because I can show you the completions that he's throwing. I can show you certain things that he's doing that are positive. You can do the same thing with Trey Lance. The difference is that's just a, there's a, that's just a part of the game. That's not the full game. So yeah, it's easy to pick out a play here and there to try to make your point, but you got to look at the full picture. Do I think Trey Lance can be a good quarterback? Yeah. Trey Lance, if he's going to be a good quarterback, is going to be Jalen Hurts. Yeah. I mean, I, I and he's going to he, – he could very well see the exact same development, right? Hurts struggled a, a bit in his first year as a starter. Second year with the receiver uh, in A.J. Brown, that's elite receiver that he was lacking. Um, he's now blossomed into an MVP candidate, right? I mean, uh, Trey Lance, he's one step ahead. He already has the receivers in Lance. I mean, in Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey now. McCaffrey being that key piece at the end that was the offensive MVP for me this year. He has the pieces. The number one thing for me for Trey Lance is, well, uh, can he get the reps? And how does he play through the reps? Because the one thing Trey Lance needs to do, he needs to play. I don't care if it's the first string or second string or if it's OTA's training camp. He needs to play. He needs to throw the football because he hasn't been throwing the football on a consistent basis for the last three years. And that's the that's the big part. There's so many questions, so many different narratives because we haven't seen him play. And that's why I'm saying he controls his own narrative at the moment. If he plays well, if he shows the 49ers coaching staff and everybody that he can do what he needs to do in OTAs and training camp, I mean, in OTAs and minicamp, he's going to be the guy that they look to because he's the guy who's been in the install go, come training camp. Brock Purdy should still get his fair share. Uh, he's going to still get his, his, you know, his reps because at, at least if he's healthy, that's the big other question, at least if he's healthy, but he's going to get his share. But Trey Lance right now, he controls it. If he can show what, 49er coaches have wanted him to show uh, the past three years. He's going to be looked at in a different place than if he struggles in that in that portion of time. Absolutely, and that the last comment that's up there right now from Lucas. Let's do it. That is the reason why the 49ers are so high on Brock Purdy. That's the difference between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. 
Trey Lance is going to give you the big splash plays. He's going to have some really nice splash plays, but there's a lack of consistency with his game. And he needs, that's where his, his development is going to come in his, is the, is in the consistency. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it, it plays out, but that's where it needs to come from. There's just a lack of consistency there. And uh, the other part of it, and I think partly why I think the, if the 49ers were to favor Purdy over Lance, the reason that I would say that I think that's the case is because as a play caller, you need to have a feel for what your quarterback is going to do. When you call play X, you Great. need to know that said quarterback is going to do A, B, C. And I think with Brock Purdy, you get A, B, and C. And with with Trey Lance, it's A, C, D, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at, at times. Uh, you can see that at least in the early parts of his his career from last year we didn't really get enough of this season to see it right that's it's it's consistency and knowing what you're going to get agreed and before i continue on i do want to give a shout out to our super chat blind tom really appreciate it carry on guys have a great low stress weekend you too have a great weekend and uh, i hope you tune on the shows continuing forward appreciate it but um i i am very stressed i'm very stressed about this off season it's we've got six six months and it's going to (laughs) be that's uh, the fun of it jack uh, at the end of this, your gray hairs are just going to double and triple and quadruple. You're going to look 60 at the end of this. You're going to look like Kyle Shanahan at the end of this. I don't have any gray hair. I mean, my beard's gray, but my head doesn't have gray hair on it. Come on, Rohan. Gee whiz. Oh, man. But no, talking uh, to, to conclude the Trey Lance talk, consistency. You talked about it. That's the big thing. And that's why I'm saying he needs to play. The only way to figure out consistency, the only way to figure out uh, for a play caller how your quarterback plays is for him to play. And that's why I'm excited to see how does he progress through the offseason. Is he what the 49ers – has he improved? Is he what the 49ers want? How does that kind of topic come along? And Judd here asks, do you not think Trey throws the ball in the offseason? That's not the point. I'm saying how does he – well, first of all, the offseason is different. How does he play against a live defense? How does he play throwing to his teammates? The timing with his teammates. All of those need to be figured out when you talk about consistency. Yeah, absolutely. And now he throws during the offseason. He, he should probably – We talk, I think I talked about this with you before. He should probably look into going and visiting other quarterback coaches and the ones that he's used in the mm-hmm. past. I think that might help him out a little bit. You, you know, if, if you're not seeing the improvement that you want and you keep going back to the same people, uh, that's like, you know, that's the definition of insanity. And – and we'll see. The, the lack of consistency with Trey Lance is, is interesting, too. And I know people don't like it, but when you watch a quarterback throw against air, those balls should all be completions on a regular basis because you're throwing against air. It's just like, you know, me and Rohan go outside and we can throw the ball 10 times to each other with me throwing the ball and Rohan running routes. And I probably hit him five because I'm an old fart and I suck now. But, you know, Trey Lance is that should be. Throwing against air is like a layup line in basketball. Those those shouldn't even be questioned. And mm-hmm. uh, you watch the 49ers throw the ball during that session, and it sometimes can become a uh, an adventure. Let's put it that way. People got really yeah, angry no. with me this year about about some of the, the things I when I post some of those those bad throws. They were really they were really mad at me during training camp. I'll tell you, <laughs> that's funny. Ugh, can't say the same for me, but. We've got to talk about one hot topic to another. Kyle Shanahan. A lot of people have been talking this week about potentially firing Kyle Shanahan, potentially moving on from him. 
What's your thoughts about this? Um, I can understand if you're if you if you're trying to make this argument based on some history with the 49ers, I can understand where you could say that Kyle Shanahan might get fired. Right. Um, I don't know if I would say that Kyle Shanahan, I'm not in the belief that I would say Kyle Shanahan should be fired, but if you're trying to make the argument that based on history, he could be fired, then I, I would agree. I mean, uh, the 49ers fired, uh, fired Jim Harbaugh after four seasons, despite the fact that they went to three straight at least NFC championships, right? And then they tried to get rid of him after years to wait. Train. That's okay. And, we'll and then, and that. then, and then, you know, they, they, the, the current group got rid of, of, um, Steve Mariucci. Mariucci, uh, after, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. After a lot of success and, uh, you know, coming and, and backing, you know, coming from, you know, that was the Mariucci thing was an interesting one. Uh, NFC championship game right away, kind of had a couple of good years and then it was, it was rebuilding. And then they finally started to go on an upswing and they got rid of them. And, um, you know, so based off of that, sure. Um, if you want to go back to Eddie DeBartolo with what he did with Bill Walsh, I think you could say go in that direction. Um, and then after Walsh left, it was a, a nice run for George Seifert for a while, but then they started to lose games in the playoffs with him and, you know, they won a Super Bowl and three years later, He's out the door. So, right. you know, there's there's history there to suggest it, but do I think that Kyle Shanahan should be fired? No, I don't. I, I think that that's a good point. The history is interesting, right? Because Mariucci was fired, I believe, after an 11-win season. Harbaugh obviously fired after the 8-8 eight eight season, but had significant success the years before that, including a Super Bowl just two years before that. You can talk about it not only with the, the entire history, but also with the York's history. Now, for me, I don't think Kyle Shanahan should be fired. He had arguably his best coaching year of his career this year with the way he commanded an offense that required two quarterback changes, changing the playbook from the Lance playbook to the Garoppolo playbook, and then manning a seventh-round rookie to the performance that he did and uh, getting the, the the amount of success that you had this year. I thought that Kyle Shanahan had his best year as a, uh, as a head coach, and that's why he's in the coach of the year running and potentially even the coach of the year this year. Now, I'm going to say something about Kyle Shanahan that I don't normally say, but it's because, I mean, I'm a Kyle Shanahan guy. I do believe he's a really good head coach in the NFL, but I do believe that this is also true. Kyle Shanahan, like I said, his biggest issue was the inability with the quarterbacks, be it quarterback evaluations, the the timing of moving on from quarterbacks, how you, however you want to say it, that's been his biggest issue. It hasn't been the the actual in-game stuff, in my opinion. It's been that specific issue, not being able to figure out the, the most important position in the NFL. And so to me, I think Kyle Shanahan, his, his kind of, uh, his tenure, it's dependent on these next two years with the 49ers, because if they can't get it done with him, with, uh, with his, with Lance's rookie deal, with Purdy's rookie deal, which ends in two years for both quarterbacks, I think if they can't get it done, which is, I believe, year nine, I think that that's where Kyle Shanahan gets moved on from, or year eight. After year eight, if you can't get the Super Bowl after year eight, it's unfortunate. I feel like the 49ers would part ways in that situation because you had the entire five years of a first-rounder of a number three overall picks tenure to get it right, and unfortunately, you couldn't get it right. And so to me, that's what, that's the way that I think about it with Kyle Shanahan. And this is coming from a guy who supports Kyle Shanahan big time because of what he's done. And I think he's been underrated in that aspect as well. I just think that that's just based off how uh, prior coaching situations have gone. That's the way that I think about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think Kyle Shanahan, the last two seasons, is, has done a, a pretty good job. Last year, three and five, and they end up 10 and seven. And 
I think they were four and six at one point, end up 10 and seven, right? I mean, that was a, a hell of a turnaround. This year, three and four to 13 and four NFC championship game to start playing with a, a rookie quarterback who put up huge numbers and your offense is performing at a rate that it doesn't, I don't think that they ever did that even in 2019. You know, if he can get back to what they happened in 2019 and the quarterback just stays healthy for six, 17 weeks plus the playoffs, I think they do get to the Super Bowl and then you, you roll it out there and see what happens. If I agree with you, though, yeah. I, do, I think he gets a year, another year, too. I, I think so. Now, I, at least that's the way that I'd view it, given the, the rookie contract tenure. We'll see. Uh, because I think that's the clearest way for the organization to kind of move uh, move way uh, or part ways because you get the reset with the quarterback position, which is the most important position, the reason why Shanahan gets moved on from with whoever the new coaching staff is. But obviously, that is a talk for the future. We've got to talk about the present. Defensive coordinator. Uh, defensive coordinator, uh, obviously a position of need for the 49ers, and the 49ers did not get, what do you call it, did not get uh, Vic Fangio. What's kind of your thoughts on them not getting Fangio, and where do you think they go? I think, um, you know, the, the loss of Fangio, Fangio is a, a, a bad one. Uh, it's too bad. He, he would have been a nice fit here for the Fournayers with what he does. Uh, but I will say um, th- I like the other two that they have. The, you know, I think that uh, Steve Volks would be a heck of a defensive coordinator. I think they're meeting with him early next week, if, if what I saw was was correct. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think is a is a strong leader. So I would be – I, I would like to see that. I think that'd be a positive move for the Ford Niners. Uh, the the gentleman out of Washington, you know, another guy from a strong background in terms of a uh, strong defensive team back there. Yeah, that's a good move. Uh, there's a name over here that I think could fit with the Ford Niners, which is already on their staff. We'll see if they decide to, to try to promote from within with Corey Unwin. You know, he's been a defensive coordinator in, in the past as well. Or Chris Kosarik, who's been brought up. I think Kosarik is the Hornets' best position coach. Um, you know, but he does have an assistant that can kind of take over that defensive line room if he decides that he, you know, decides that he's going to change his mind and want to become a defensive coordinator all of a sudden. Yeah, I think that those are all good moves. I outlined in detail yesterday why Fangio was my number one selection because he's yeah. he's really the best in terms of X's and O's there's no second to Vic Fangio there's a reason that that Denver Broncos team the year he got fired with such a horrific offense with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater went seven and ten it's because of Fangio and his defense and the reason I was so excited potentially of a Fangio 49ers um uh combination is because of the way that Vic Fangio it requires dynamic players for that system to work, right? Vic Fangio, that system is predicated on the uh, on the personnel that you have, and Vic Fangio has really done the best of managing through his personnel. And so, to me, I thought that that could have been the guy. But Steve Wilkes, although with a a little bit of a different philosophy, would still be a phenomenal guy. And the number one thing Steve Wilkes has over Vic Fangio is the person behind him, the personality and the leader kind of oriented mindset that Steve Wilkes has. We've seen players come out in support of Steve Wilkes, be it Shaq Thompson, be it Brian Burns, talking to Niners Nation's Jordan Elliott today. Steve Wilkes is a guy who's revered by his players, and I think that's something that's important to note. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah, uh, but defensive coordinator, that's a position we'll see, whether it's internal or external. That news should be coming soon. To wrap up the show, I want to talk about the offensive line because the offensive line gets a lot of heat on a general, uh, on a, just in general. And uh, 
do you think the offensive line needs fixing after the year they had? Do you think what, and if so, what, what's the solution for the offensive line? What is the solution to the off season or the offensive line? The offensive line, offensive line on the offensive line. I'm sorry. The solution along the offensive line is, um, if you can bring your five guys back, you do. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I, uh, I don't think the offensive line needs fixing nearly, uh, to the extent that people are talking about, this is an offensive line that we, we, we hit on this early on. They have a left tackle. Who's an all pro. They have a right tackle who um, is top 10 in the NFL, maybe 15, definitely, you know, he's definitely top 15 uh, at his position, but I think he's closer yeah. to top 10. I think right top 10. Tackle. Yeah. Okay. So those are the guys that you had returning that have done this in the past. They went into 2022 with a left guard who had never started before, who never really played a, a meaningful down, in the NFL, right. they went into the first this year with a starting right guard who was a rookie, so he definitely hadn't. And at center, leading the whole thing was a guy who had played three games in 2018 for the Miami Dolphins, uh, but had never been a starter. They end up with an all pro at left tackle, uh, a Pro Bowl alternate at center with that player, and they give up less hits, less sacks, run for more yards. And people are complaining. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. What are we complaining about here? You, you, you completely, you completely step. Take yourself back to the middle of the off season when the schedule was announced. There were people, very prominent people, who said that the 49ers would miss the playoffs because their offensive line was going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. The 49ers went 13 and four. Actually, won more games than they did the year before, and were a much improved offense this season than they were the year before. I'm sorry. I don't understand why we're talking about the offensive line being fixed. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny topic. And I, it's, it's, I feel like the offensive line is just a position that many fans don't necessarily understand. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I understand it amazingly. I'm the guy you go to for offensive line. I'm still learning about the position when I watch film, but overall, I think the offensive line is a position that always takes flack because when you talk about it, that's a position where you highlight all the negative plays because when you, a quarterback gets sacked, you blame the offensive line. When a play gets blown up, you blame the offensive line. But when the positive plays come, you don't necessarily talk about the offensive line as much. You talk about, oh my God, uh, Debo Samuel just made this amazing run. Whoa, Jimmy Garoppolo just threw the 75-yard touchdown pass because he had five seconds to, uh, to go in the pocket. You know, it's things like that. And I think it's interesting parts about uh, – it's interesting parts about that. The offensive line, both of us nailed it this year. We both said uh, how I don't think uh, we didn't think the the left left guard position was going to be too much of a drop off. In fact, I had argued the left guard position even got better this year with the way that Aaron Banks played. At center, you have a guy who made the Pro Bowl. Uh, whether or not it's necessarily indicative of his performance this year or not, you can argue that. But uh, at right guard, a rookie who had ups and downs, but strong ups and strong downs. So, I mean, it, you take it at the rookie position, especially for a fourth-round pick with a guy who didn't play the position coming into the year. So there are a lot of positives you can take from the offensive line. And me coming into this year, I said, uh, if, if Mike McGlinchey is ready week one, which he was, the 49ers offensive line is going to be an above-average unit, potentially even top 10. And I think that they earned that uh, their, that ranking this year. It's not necessarily the splashes. I mean, you've seen the bad that the 49ers offensive line is, uh, has created. And it's unfortunate that some of the injuries that the 49ers have had at the quarterback position stem from uh, issues 
or really just one unfortunate play from the offensive line uh, on certain instances. And I think that that's really elevated uh, the the thought process about the offensive line. But I think that it's a strong offensive line uh, in regards to most of the league. And I think that the 49ers are also prepared for the future because they've got guys like Jason Poe and Nick Sakel, who I think they are grooming to potentially take over at positions on the offensive line or at least to compete along positions on the offensive line this offseason. Yeah, and that's going to, you know, when we look at this offensive line, there are two positions where they will need to address. They're going to need to address center because they don't have a center under contract in terms of the returning starter. They don't have their starting right tackle under contract. So those are the positions they have to address. Um, Is, you know, I know Nick Sakal is somebody that they got some, some snaps in there during training camp and they kind of rotated them around. I don't know how much Mm -hmm. of that he got uh, once the season started. We don't really get to watch them all that often. And, Quite frankly, when I'm at practice, I'm, I'm not paying as right. much attention to the offensive line as I should because I'm usually filming the quarterbacks because that's what people want to watch on YouTube. So, you know, um, we don't I don't really know in that direction, but uh, I, I think that that was a group that played really well. One thing I'm going to say yeah. since we talked, I'm going to swing this back really quick to the quarterback getting injured. Let's do it. Discussion, just because like the injury, two of the injuries that we discussed had nothing to do with the offensive line. It was. The Tyler Your, Croft one? Tyler Croft getting beat. That's the one that hurts you in, in Philadelphia. And the injury that started all the problems for Jimmy Garoppolo in 2021 was a missed block by Kittle, right? Kittle. You yeah. know, I, I understand that Jimmy Garoppolo held the ball a little bit longer than he probably should have. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that, the all 22 version of it instead of just the offensive line version of it that I've seen that I posted on my YouTube, my Twitter the other day. But, you know, it, Hey, at some, you know, it's important to pay attention to the games and really be able to, and I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody here, but I'm saying you you really need to be able to slow yourself down and observe what's happening. And, and sometimes you don't catch it in real time because I know that I don't. And so sometimes it's not about right. coming in with your opinion right after the game and then being unwilling to adjust it once you actually see information and what i what i think that we've seen here in this last week is people who there's uh, there's people who are just unwilling to look at the whole thing they are so steadfast in that you have to back up Kyle Shanahan 100% of the time or else you want to fire him that they're not even being objective as to everything that happened in that play there's we i think our conversation on that a little bit earlier was was a good one because there I think we both agree it's a multiple a multitude of things that took place there to end up having the result that they did. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's okay to say that it's a bad play call. Um, and, and not at the same time, not say that Kyle Shanahan sucks. I mean, you can, I blame Kyle Shanahan for the loss because I think there was three things that they did wrong in this game that led to the loss. That's mean what that was one of them, but you know, just because he screwed up in one game doesn't mean that he wasn't a good coach over the previous uh, right. 19. Right. And I mean, coaches are going to have bad play calls. That's that's undoubtedly going to happen. They're going yeah. to be bad execution. There's going to be bad play calls. We've been through the brunt of it. And I think that that's a good way to put it and a good way to end today's show, because, I mean, there's been a lot of the controversy, right? Be it quarterback injuries, be it against Kyle Shanahan, be it with Mike McGlinchey, be it with who really the offensive line, whatever you want to talk about somehow uh, at the end of this year, uh, this off season, there's been a lot of this turmoil going on. And so it's good to, to, to bring it all together and really reach uh, conclusions that makes 
you know, that, that take into account everything and aren't too rash, aren't too uh, irrational at the moment. And so, yeah, I appreciate the your time, Jack, and uh, having you come along and uh, give your thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm glad you reached out to me to do this. And I was a little upset we didn't do it last week because I think I think that's the reason why the four ers lost is you, you you got off the track. Damn. You know, we were we were on the pattern. We had a, we, we were had a good, oh man, we, we were, had a we twelve winning, we had a twelve week we had a twelve week then, streak. And then and then you decided to go in a different direction. And you know, you know, that's that's what happens when a couple of things happen. You know, you you didn't ask me on to do the pregame show with you. That that screwed us up. And you had Niner Nick who uh, who even said that you know his post game rants are, are supposed to be after the game, but he need he had to get it off before the game this week. And uh, I told him to wait, but but hey, you know, hey, youth, youth and youthful exuberance, you just can't hold off sometimes. You oh, know, man. that's why youthful that's why you get older. You get you're gonna go back to that. I remember when I picked the Eagles, he said, Man, better yeah. to learn young. It, hey, I, I still I still agree with that. I don't you know it's the only reason I think you're right is because uh, Brock Purdy got knocked out of the game. Other than that, I think he would have lost. It would have been a fun hey, it was game. Four, yeah. We talked about it this before been. the game. Just for a second, real quick, if we got a couple Let's more do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. If, if you go back to this game, Brock Purdy gets knocked out in the first first quarter, first possession of the game. Josh Johnson goes in, and you're tied at seven halfway through the second quarter. Can you imagine? I mean, right. it's unbelievable to think that this game was tied halfway through the second quarter when you lost your starting quarterback six plays into the game. And that just shows how good that this team was playing. There, to me, the biggest mistake of the game that nobody wants to think of as, of as a mistake, because again, I think you got to give Shanahan the credit that, you know, the um, whatever it is. Benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Benefit of the doubt, you know, is that game is 14 to seven. You're getting the ball to start the second half and you're going after it at the end of the first half, instead of just taking it into the halftime regathering yourself and coming out and getting the ball to start the second half down by only seven. Instead, what happens happens and you go in at the halftime. Would they have won the game? Uh, you know, who knows because it's the fourth guy and who knows? I mean, the ball, ball, ball hit him right in the chest. It's not like it was a bad play by anybody other than, the, than him. But Josh Johnson's performance on Sunday shows you why everybody else played for this team, especially in terms of Brock Purdy and all the discussion of, hey, Purdy's only a product of the system. Uh, Purdy's a good quarterback. He's, that's why he was able to out, to to orchestrate that offense as well as he did, even with all the weapons around him. Mm-hmm. And there was at least three times in that game where Josh Johnson, forget about running the play, Josh Johnson wasn't able to get the team out of the huddle into Correct. the line of scrimmage in time to snap the ball before there was a delay of game. And that killed them. It really did. The, the, the possession before the big run by McCaffrey – they're across midfield because they get great field position on that goofy punt, whatever happened on that. And they're in good in a good spot there. And they get a, I think they even get a first down, mm-hmm. but then he can't get the playoff on time. And now first and 10 becomes first. And they did it three times. It's just, you know, you, you're not, they shot themselves in the foot consistently in that situation and then on the defense side we know what happened over there you you can't give up they give up what was it seven first downs by penalty uh, on defense yeah yeah i think it was eight uh, overall yeah. seven on the defense or six on the defense and seven overall something like that you know it's josh johnson just couldn't couldn't operate the offense out of the huddle let alone um you know making the plays and this team was still only down by seven so that's why 
Yeah, Brock Purdy's out there. It was still, an interesting game, man, especially yeah. because he had two drives starting inside the fifty, right, and you didn't score on one of them. Well, the one, the one, the one that you don't score on is because of the mistake that we talked about. So, yeah. you know, if 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 your quarterback doesn't screw it up and you score points there, you probably don't get that great field position the next time around, you know. But the Furniers defense, I thought, played played really well. Throw the challenge flag, man. Just throw the challenge flag. And uh, anyway. Oh, man. 49ers throwback. I don't know why you blocked me on Twitter, man. Come on now. I'm sure it was a joke because no, he's here he supporting like, you. Like, poor guy blocked me like uh, like weeks ago, man. Like a month, on, like a couple months ago. I don't know what I did to him. Support Maybe he doesn't like my talk. On tra- he probably doesn't like me talking about Trey Lance. Uh, that's true. Well, we disagree a little bit on Trey Lance, but we came to a conclusion today. For those of you guys wanting to hear about the Trey Lance talk and Jack's little rant, go back earlier in the show because it was a fun one. But, guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It was a blast, Jack. Uh, we'll make sure to stay on track for the entire uh, next season so we don't lose a single game going 17-0. and But uh, everybody else in the chat, I really appreciate all that you guys have done uh, because you guys kept the chat really popping today. Thank you, guys. We will be back next time. Jack, any last thoughts? No, thank you, Rohan, for doing this, and I appreciate it. And uh, everybody over in the comment section, thanks for watching. Everybody that's watching the show, thank you for for checking it out as well. Uh, Appreciate it, and uh, just have a good weekend. Yes, sir. Have a good weekend. See you later. All right. Take care, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.